Can't believe you're just giving him Australia. Australia's the key to the whole game. Says you. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa. Definitely not the Kate to my Jack. Definitely not the Ben to my Alex. Definitely not... I mean, I guess she could be the Nadia to my Saeed, but that's not going to end well. So it's just... Hi, Tessa. Lots of bad relationships in these two episodes. Or I should say lots of bad outcomes for relationships in these two episodes. And with me is the bad outcomes to relationships to this show, Tessa. Hi. This week, we're talking about the season four episodes, The Shape of Things to Come, and Something Nice Back Home. Nothing good happens in these two episodes. So what better way to begin than with the Ben Flash Forward into Nisha in 2005 as Dean Moriarty. He really likes his classical references, doesn't he? His literary references, I should say. And with me is Tessa, the classic literary allusions to my Ben. Okay, this this bit has gotten old. No, it hasn't. (laughs) I only have to figure out like 12 more. Okay. Do you want me to just keep saying hi? Hi. Dean Moriarty or Benjamin Linus or Henry Gale or whoever is going to Iraq because Saeed's wife is dead. Saeed's wife? Who's his wife? What does Ben want? Well, he wants Saeed to work for him. We know that already because we've already seen it. Yeah, this was a really interesting way of not only giving us a Ben flash forward, which we haven't seen a lot of Ben's history or future in this show, but it also gives us the origin story of why Saeed is working for Ben. It took me a minute to remember that Nadia was a character we'd actually seen before, that she was the person in Iraq that sort of changed his mind about who he was and he fell in love with her even though he was sort of torturing her which is a weird way for a romance to start anyway it's hey, kind of odd hey, Tessa, that we can let me let me break in and just ask you who's Saeed's person a Nadia or b Shannon gonna need an answer I'm going with c I don't know We haven't seen enough of his relationship with Nadia as a married couple to know if it was a functional relationship or not. I will say that Saeed seems to fall in love at the drop of a hat, which is really unusual for somebody who prides himself on being like a torturer as he self-identifies. I mean, like, come on. He fell in love with Shannon, fell in love with Nadia twice, apparently, and he falls in love... He falls in sex love feelings with the the spy who double cross double crosses him. I'm just saying Saeed is a bit of a romantic. Hi everyone. I really tried to get her to answer that question and she just wouldn't. So let's move on. I'm just saying there's probably someone else out there for him. I just don't like that we don't get to see his relationship with Nadia. It feels like an off-screen fridging. Well, maybe we will. We've still got maybe. two more seasons. I don't maybe. trust we'll- them. Well, you shouldn't. One thing that we get out of this episode is we're starting to be able to piece together the timeline of these flash forwards that we've seen since the season three finale. So we know that we discussed this. We think that the first flash forward 
in chronological order is the trial. Yes. Because, of course, we're talking about the second Jack and Kate flash forward in the next episode, but we haven't gotten to that yet. So the Jack and Kate flash forward, the only one as of The Shape of Things to Come, chronologically comes first, right? Yes. Okay. And then after that, this is the one we actually didn't talk about the other day. Does Sun's birth and Hurley's visiting come next? I think so, because Hurley hasn't devolved into where we see him later this episode. I think once he's in the mental institution, he doesn't seem to come out, at least not yet. And he doesn't seem like he's seen Charlie yet in that scene with him and son. So I'm just going to say that that's before all of that. Right. And so it makes sense to say that Hurley's flash forward comes next. Although some of these could have happened concurrently. Right. So we know that the Saeed flash forward from this episode, we know that the Ben flash forward from this episode comes before Saeed's flash forward. But... Those could be happening, either one could be happening at the same time. And then finally, of course, the the last flash forward is the one that we saw first, which set up the bearded Jack and the Jack who insists that they have to go back to the island and the mystery of who's in the box, which we've gotten nowhere on. Right. I mean, we're basically filling in all of the blanks on Jack's descent into bearded jack (laughs) right i mean that is pretty much the through line of this season is that descent and we begin to get a little bit more not exactly information but we get more context around who left how they left and why they left and none of it's good right right yeah i mean We don't know who's died and who's still on the island, but it does seem like some pretty traumatic things have happened in order to convince the six people who got off the island never to talk about it. So it is interesting. I mean, one of them doesn't talk at all. Right, because he's a baby. He's a baby. Right. (laughs) But back to the other baby, Ben, who just always has to have his way or he'll throw a tantrum. Most babies don't have smoke monsters at their command, though. Yeah, that was wild. But before we get to that, let's stay off the island. What else about this Ben flash forward did you have a reaction to for with? Well, first, I thought the beginning of the episode was really clever because we get to see Ben just wake up in this desert in Tunisia We don't know how he got there. Maybe he doesn't know how he got here. It's really hard to tell exactly how he got from the island to here because you can't trust his stories. But the way that the camera focuses on him waking up in the middle of the desert is exactly the same way that we were introduced to the show with Jack lying on the ground on the island and his eyes suddenly open and it pans out to show him laying in the middle of the jungle. So it's a really cool way of paralleling Ben with Jack In this moment, I feel like this is definitely the season where Ben is paralleled with a lot of people. So it's interesting to see that visually here. We also get to see Ben actually do some physical fighting in this episode, which is very unusual for his character. I thought he just manipulated other people into doing what he needed, but clearly he can handle himself with his nightstick, which seems to be his weapon of choice. Is he Nightwing? 
oh god no please no but then like i also feel i feel like there's a really good chance that ben had saeed's wife murdered (laughs) In order to get Saeed to work for him. I mean, that's a classic Ben move, right? Because he shows up and he's like, this is the guy who killed your wife. He works for Charles Widmore. And then that, of course, is going to get Saeed to be in this like vendetta against Charles Widmore. Which, by the way, side note, Saeed is like legit giving me not maybe Bond vibes but maybe like John Wick vibes in this episode because he's just like single-mindedly when Ben tells him like your grief will turn to anger and you're just never going to be able be able to get rid of it and is like I don't care like this is the only thing I have left that was a really interesting move for Saeed as a character for me I don't quite believe him but that's beside the point come on all we have is Ben's word that this guy works for Charles Widmore like it seems to me that Ben is a master manipulator, and sure, he might be just using a situation conveniently towards his ends, but I I just, I suspect everything that he does. Yeah, let's talk about Ben the master manipulator. We'll come back to the flash forward, but now we'll go back to the island and talk about Ben's shining moment as a master manipulator when, on the beach, we see the dead doctor washing up to shore but we've also found out that the kill squad has landed. And in a great moment of hostage negotiation, he gets his daughter killed in the most offensive way possible. Her last moments alive on that island were, I don't care about you. Smooth. Yeah, this again goes along with what I was saying last week with Rousseau and Carl's death. It feels like they made this whole branch of this story, right? Being Rousseau's reunification with her daughter and sort of this like family that they're making together. And then it's like, they didn't know what to do with it. So they were like, oh, guess we can just kill all of them off and that'll have emotional impact. I really disliked this. I really, really disliked it. I get what they're doing story-wise, but this is yet another example of killing off a female character in order to move along a male character storyline in order to develop them, in order to motivate them. I don't like it. I just, Ben severely miscalculates here. I don't like that. I don't feel like that's really truthful to his character. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I just, this didn't feel good. Let's go through what happens to our group at the barracks and the kill squad sort of step by step. First, good guy Sawyer. Leave no Claire behind. No, Sawyer Sawyer definitely comes out looking very good in this episode. He calls Claire sweetheart. I mean, come on. That's nice. Conveniently, all the B-team background players are now dead. Yeah, they're just dead now. We still have proof of life on a couple on the beach, but all the ones who went with Locke, they're all dead. I have to say, though... In a very morbid way, the scene where they kept running out of the house and Sawyer kept being like, get back in the house, and they kept getting shot, it happens like three times in a row. It is hilarious. Like, come on, listen to what he's saying. Stop running out of the house. Nobody ever listens to Sawyer. It would have, the only way it could have been funnier if they were clowns running out of a clown car. Uh, okay. (laughs) We also in this sequence of events, have the return, the much-awaited return of a fan-favorite character, 
the smoke monster. Ben somehow can summon the smoke monster. Or did he know that what was happening would cause the smoke monster to... Well, but why did he go in the closet with all the weird symbols on the wall? I think he summoned it. You think he summoned it? Yeah. Although well, it's much bigger than it was before. Like, that was terrifying. Yeah. It really feels like Ben is the smoke monster's dad. Ben is the smoke monster's dad. Okay. The other thing that happens during this sequence of events is Ben mutters, and this will come back in a little bit, he changed the rules. He, of course, is Charles, right? So we'll get a payoff on that very, very soon. Where we're left at the end of this sequence of events is Sawyer, Claire, Aaron, and Miles are going to go back to the beach. Sawyer was going to take Hurley with him, but Ben and Locke stopped him because they think Hurley's the only one who can see or find Jacob's house. The cabin. Right. And so the question is, did Ben summon the smoke monster or did the smoke monster show up because Hurley was threatened? Ooh, that's a really interesting question. It still doesn't explain why Ben went through the secret door. I mean, also, how many doors does Ben have in his house? The secret door. I mean, you have to know that Ben has like probably five exits and entrances to that house. My my favorite moment from this whole thing is is when he's playing the piano and they come in and they tell him the code on the phone. He gets up, opens the bench, takes a shotgun, <laughs> and just tosses it to Sawyer. I mean, Sawyer has spent, as I said to you, Sawyer has spent the entire run of the show trying to hold on to a gun or stealing a gun. And now he's just being given guns. Yeah. Now people are just like, here you go. I don't know. Maybe it did show up because... Hurley was being threatened. Maybe it's like a guilt situation where it like preys on guilt, kind of like Vecna from Stranger Things. I don't know. Going back to the flash forward, let's talk a little bit about Ben and Charles's discussion. We find out three things here. Number one, Charles Widmore is having nightmares. What do you think that's all about? Okay, I have a new theory about Widmore and Ben's relationship. We have a new theory Everybody. This is going to be wild. It's going to be wild. This is going to be a little out there. A little out there. I don't know if this show is the kind of show that could pull this off. It isn't. Ben and Charles Widmore. I'm sorry. Benjamin Linus and Charles Widmore are two immortal beings locked in a duel with each other throughout history. And everything they do is part of this frenemy type game between the two of them kind of in the vein of the night circus where like they each nominate like a champion and that uh-huh. champion has to participate in whatever game they decide every mm-hmm. hundred years mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah. i think that's what's happening okay. because it would explain the whole he changed the rules situation right. because yeah. there were rules about family members before mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and when ben approaches charles And Charles says, why don't you just kill me then? He says, we both know I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So they are unable to actually strike out at each other in that way. Yeah. So they have to do it through proxies. Very. And it all has to do with control over the island in some way. Now. Naturally. Now. Now. I'm interested to know if Charles Widmore is having nightmares if the island is trying to drag him back, was Charles Widmore ever on the island? Well, I don't know. 
It's a great question, I think. It is a great question. And Charles also says, everything you have, you took from me. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's it's a centuries-long duel for the island. Right. It's a very interesting theory. And on top of that, if you were if you were indeed correct, on top of that, Ben has sworn revenge for killing Alex. So what we're being told is that moment where Alex is murdered, which genuinely, according to Ben, surprised Ben. That is what gave us it gave us the Saeed Ben team up. It's given us, we're being told it's given us everything from that moment forward. So anytime we see Ben in a period after Alex was murdered, we are being told that his primary motivation is what happened right then. Right. Which and makes it like a more than a fridging. It's like a it's like a chest freezer. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that maybe she died so that way. This whole last half of the show could get set up. I still don't like it. I still right. don't find it a particularly good motivation in that way. I feel like there are other ways they could have gotten to this point. But fine, sure. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Right. And so, of course, that brings us to the, the third thing that we find out from this conversation. That Ben has sworn to kill Charles's daughter. Desmond's one true love, Penny. You can't kill the constant, Penny. She's in danger. Okay, I found this really interesting, actually, because it is implied at the end of this episode by Charles Widmore that even he doesn't know where Penny is. And so he says, you know, good luck to you. I guess we're both going to be searching or we're both going to be hunting. What I would like, in, in a world where good things happen to Desmond, not sure we live in that world. I... But in a world where good things happen to Desmond, Penny and Desmond are hiding somewhere, perhaps on the island. Wouldn't it be cool if they were like on the beach together in the <laughs> next scene we see them in? That, that would be great. I don't think that's the world we live in, but that would be great. Meanwhile, back on the island. So Claire's gone. I really hope this isn't them just getting rid of Claire this way, because if so, I'm really mad about how they're treating women this season of the show. But... I think it is interesting that we're supposed to believe from the fact that Kate has Aaron in the future that something has happened to Claire. And they kind of teased us with it by having the kill squad blow up Claire's house. And we're like, oh, no, Claire's dead. But then she's not dead. And she hit her head. So maybe she dies from a concussion. But no, she just straight up disappears following her dead father into the jungle. Her dead father, who's also Jack's dead father. Yeah. I... I did, I did have this moment where I realized that perhaps she doesn't know that he's dead because Jack is the one bringing the body home. And the last right. she saw him, she was like, I don't want you in my life. Yep. So she could still think that he's alive. But it is really eerie when they hear the crying baby and they find Aaron just like under the tree. Yeah. And she's completely gone. That is very, very eerie. But again, I hope that this is not how they're getting rid of this character because if so... I'm going to name this this season the season. I'm going to name this season the season of the fridge. You've made a lot of bold predictions today so far. I'd like to point out this is the second time Claire has just disappeared in this show. Right. We are, well, you know, at least you know that she'll get a lot more work as Belle on the next show. <laughs> God. <laughs> that show. That show. Anyway, 
We get two other things out of the journey back to the beach. Remember, Miles can hear dead people. And remember, Lapidus is a good guy. Good guy, Lapidus. I don't know what's happening with the boat. I'm really excited to find out. But yeah, Lapidus saves their lives. And then they find the dead bodies of Rousseau and Carl. Right. I can't, I don't know how I feel about Miles. I just don't. He's such a like, this is this character that we need in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do love Sawyer putting a restraining order on him. Uh, She got up and walked away. Yeah. I would have gone to look after her, but restraining order, remember? <laughs> what a jerk. Sawyer seems very protective of Claire, which I feel like Claire needs after the whole Charlie situation. Which, by the way, her waking up and asking for Charlie after getting her, her bell rung was one of the saddest things ever in this episode. And there's a lot of sad things in this episode. Yeah. So, speaking of sad, but not really, I guess, we don't spend much time on the beach in the shape of things to come. All we see is that Jack's in pain. In Something Nice Back Home, we find out he has appendicitis. Do you remember, though, in the in the shape of things to come, when it was revealed that he was in pain, and he's like, it's a stomach thing, and he's taking antibiotics? Do you remember what I said that I thought he had? No. I said that I thought he had an ulcer <laughs> from the stress of managing all of these people and dealing with this island. And honestly... The appendicitis thing was fine. I actually kind of enjoyed that storyline. It reminded me of Master and Commander quite a bit. But it would have been... That's a good thing for you. But if they were going for funny, it would have been way funnier if it had been an ulcer. Oh, jeez. Although probably harder to fix. So, of course, Jack tries to micromanage the situation, even though he's the one having surgery done on him. Isn't it Kate who says that she's surprised he hasn't already tried to operate on himself? Yep. Yep. (laughs) So while all that's happening... Or after all that's happening, Juliet takes it upon herself to clear the air and tell Kate that he kissed me, but he was doing it to prove that he was over somebody else and that somebody else is you. This is good for somebody somehow. For what reason? I think Juliet's way smarter than either Jack or Kate. Well, that's not difficult. I'm just like emotionally, she's a very intelligent person. And I think she likes Jack just fine. She said it was nice, but I think she knows that Kate and Jack are just like these two magnets that just attract each other and she's not going to get in the way. She's seen enough teen romances to know that's never a good idea. She's seen Dawson's Creek. She's seen One Tree Hill. No, she hasn't. She can imagine One Tree Hill. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's an island. What is she doing in the middle of the night? Just like. Sitting there staring at the ceiling of the, her tent? No, she's imagining teen soap club. operas. Yours is probably better, though. What anyway. was your favorite book again? It was science fiction. And I'm trying to remember what it was because somebody was putting down science fiction in that book club. And I was ready to fight. I mean, she was reading Carrie. That's a teen soap opera of sorts. Okay. Involved prom. It did. And teen bullying. It did. In a rural area. Uh-huh. So, yeah, like, next step over is One Tree Hill, Dawson's Creek. Which also featured a protagonist with anger issues and telekinetic powers. Ooh, which one would have telekinetic powers? Betty. In Riverdale. Oh, in Riverdale. 
Wait, what was I talking about? Oh, I thought you were saying One Tree Hill. Oh. Who would have telekinetic powers in One Tree Hill? Tudor girl. Yeah, I could see that. Because yeah, I, I that feel like Peyton's clear. would be more like anger-based, like yeah. the Hulk. Well, I mean, that Carrie's was anger-based. Right, yeah. So. Anyway, it's a, right. it's, a fun, it's a fun thought experiment. I mean, in a just world, Peyton would be Dazzler. We're all done here. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I was trying to think of a really bad X-Men that I could say Dawson was. <laughs> <laughs> like X-Man. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, Dawson is Scott. Oh, but you just don't like Scott. You're, you're well, an avowed Scott hater. He's about as annoying as Scott is. I mean, I think Scott is annoying, but right. not as annoying as you do. He's annoying. Anyway, back to Lost. Back to the <laughs> island. X-Men on the island. Oh, please don't. Uh, so Jin insists that Charlotte get his wife and child home. <laughs> Surprise, Charlotte knows Korean. Which, that thread of this seems to exist solely to tell us that if we don't see anything else this season, we know that Jin is going to play the heroic sacrifice card to make sure that his wife and child make it off the island, which they do. It's meant to like fill that in. Oh yeah, like you can see this trope coming from like a hundred miles away, like not, without even binoculars or a telescope. He's had a real redemption arc, right? Although I did like how in his conversation with Charlotte when he's trying to get her to admit that he understands. When he's trying to get her to admit that she understands Korean, that she, he threatens to break all of the bones in Daniel's hand. And that just seemed very like, I don't know if he would have done it, but it seemed like he was very much drawing on like his mob instincts there. Right. To be fair, if you looked real hard at Dan's hand, it probably would have broken. So. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. I'd- we also find out that he has a crust on Charlotte, and I find that to be one of the most Important pieces of information. Just, just found out in this episode. In this huh? season. Yeah. Do, do you know what it looks like when people have crushes on each other? No, they haven't shown us anything about that. You, you've seen her though, right? Oh, yeah, obviously. And he, and, okay. I get it. Okay. And she's kind of mean. That seems like the kind of thing mm-hmm, he'd be into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although he does accuse her of having a bad attitude in this episode. Well, she does. Yeah. She definitely has like a sour face, but like in a hot way. Yeah. 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 But I love how Jin is like, do you think she knows that he likes her? And Sun is like, she's a woman. She knows. And she does know. She does know. She's got that little smile. Yeah, she does. So. I find this very important. I am now shipping Daniel and Charlotte. I am very invested in their relationship. All right. Well, because the other ones are like destroying me right now. And like with their dumb relationship decisions. I got to ship somebody who I don't know that much about so I can't know that they're horrible at relationships. Speaking of dumb relationships. Look, it's Kate and Jack and Aaron and they have a family. How could it go wrong? And they're going to get married. It's so wonderful, except of course it's not. What were you watching the other day that was like, you should never find, like, be careful that you find what you're looking for. What was that from? 
That was White Collar. Oh, right. That was White Collar. Because Maz keeps reminding him that the second part of May You Live in Interesting Times is and find what you're looking for. Right. So this is how this feels with uh, those of us who have been Jack and Kate shippers from the very beginning. Like Those of you, to be clear. It's not us. Yeah. No, it's me. Um, Hi. I have been on this podcast several times and said that I wanted Jack and Kate to get together. <laughs> Team Soyate? Hoyer? I don't know. I don't know what we call them. Anyway, it's like, yes, I got what I was looking for, but not like this. <laughs> not like this. Like, this is the worst. And I mean, I've said this before. This relationship was never going to work because Jack has a savior complex, which was confirmed, by the way, in this episode when he screams at her that she should love him because he's the one that saved her. That's right. He screams that at her. And this is why, boys and girls and theys, you should never date anybody who has a savior complex, especially men that have a savior complex, because they feel entitled to things because they saved you or they lose interest because you have proved yourself someone who doesn't need saving and they can't fulfill that role that gives them so much joy in their lives. And so they sabotage the relationship just like Jack does here. Hi, I have opinions on this. Selena Kyle, if you are listening to the podcast, this does not apply to you. Do not listen to what Tessa or anyone from Detective Comics tells you. That is all. You really want her to be with Bruce, don't you? Yeah. 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 But yeah, like this whole episode is Jack in the flash forward is Jack sabotaging his relationship with Kate. And she does nothing wrong. I want to repeat this. She does nothing wrong. Okay. You know who else does nothing wrong? Hurley. Because Aww, Hurley. Hurley's just trying to get help so he can be, you know, his best self again. And, you know, his best friend is a ghost and is hanging out with him. And when your best ghost friend or your ghost best friend gives you a message to pass on to somebody, you do it. Because that's what being a good friend is. And so... Best friend Charlie tells best friend Hurley to tell Jack that he is not meant to raise that child. This really feels like a Witches of Macbeth situation where Charlie's like, you aren't meant to raise that child. And then Jack immediately self-destructs. Like, it doesn't even take him 24 hours to hit that self-destruct button. Well, and and of course, to, to not go back to your point, reference but to use a christmas carol he tells jack that he is about to be visited and somebody's gonna tell him that himself and who it is it is the ghost of the low battery and the smoke detector christian shepherd yeah that actor is getting a lot of uh screen time these last two episodes both on the island and off yep so yeah, yeah. it's he doesn't even say anything he's just sitting on the couch does he have to well Again, I don't know if if Jack had had any confidence in his relationship and in himself and in Kate. Like, they don't actually do anything to him to make him think that he would be a bad father or husband. Like, he does that all himself. He, like, reads into what they say. Right. So, yeah, it is really frustrating to see Jack do this because it's like all he had to do was see his father and then he's just like, no, I'm bad now. Right. Immediately spirals the greatest hits of Jack spiraling. He gets drunk. He accuses Kate of 
doing something, something she shouldn't be. And finally just drags it out of her. She's doing something for Sawyer. Oh, you don't love me most. Well, you're not even related to that child. Which begs the question, does he know he's related to that child? Irony alert. I mean, I feel like he does if we he's ha- going to say that. We have fun. Yeah, like he can't get over the fact that she was with Sawyer and takes it out on her. Like she's allowed to do things for people. She's not cheating on him. She's allowed to do things for people. I mean, also his tattoos get worse every single time I see them. They're bad. They're real bad. I can't oh, believe well. we had a backstory episode for them. Yeah, neither can the rest I of remember us. that sometimes and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, Jack's not a good person. Now I'm team Kate with anybody else. <laughs> well, all right then. I got what I wanted. And guess what? It wasn't what I wanted. Aww. It was more horrible than anything I could have anticipated. Well, on that note, do you have any final thoughts about these two episodes? MVP of the beach this week is Bernard, who successfully tricks Daniel into revealing that he's lying to them because he sends a telegraph message. He's like, well, you can use the radio to send a telegraph message to the boat. And so Daniel's like, yeah, I could do that. And he like rigs it all up and he sends a telegraph message and he's like, oh, they said that they're sending the chopper back tomorrow. And Bernard is like, no, they didn't. They said everything's fine. So yeah, Bernard MVP for knowing Morse code, but also Bernard is the one who helps out Juliet with the ether Like, he's just doing all sorts of stuff. Like, good guy Bernard. I also really like that when Charlotte gets in Bernard's face about the accused lying, that Rose immediately pushes between them and is like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to do anything to my man. MVP, best couple, currently. They have a solid relationship right now. All right, that's it for today. Join us next week when we'll be talking about Cabin Fever and There's No Place Like Home, Part 1. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time. This is exactly what he wants, to fight amongst ourselves. You're making a big mistake, dude. It's his to make, Hugo. Let's get on with it. I'm attacking Siberia. 